leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. This is CISO Thursdays. We have wonderful people here. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. Next to me, Randall Fritchie. Say hi to everybody, Randall. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Awesome. And we're going to get into it with Randall because he has a post that hit 300,000 people. Super excited to talk about that. Next up, James, a.k.a. Alex, a.k.a. Kobe, a.k.a. Yaki Azar. We have jokes on that. I'll tell you about it in a second. But say hi to Frank. everyone, James. <laughs> a.k.a. Frank, a.k.a. You forgot Abu Abdullah. You're leaving all my Arabic fans, like, out of this. They're apparently all, all right? famous, too. Like, every one of them. You know. Everybody. It's Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. It's the first night of Hanukkah. Really? It's the first night of Hanukkah tonight. Awesome. I'm super psyched. Awesome, awesome. I get to eat donuts for eight days and no one gets to say a damn thing about it. OMG, my son is going to want to end up <laughs> being Jewish if he knows he can do that. <laughs> Are you getting Hanukkah Guild? Yes, um, I, I am. And I am, uh, you know, I have a very weird tradition since I was a kid. I like to give everyone, like, I, I, I'm giving my wife eight different gifts for Hanukkah, but now. All the gifts don't add up until the eighth day. Oh I hope she's not watching. <laughs> <laughs> you just blew your own spot. My co-host, Chris Fola. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Okay. Howdy, everyone. I had to find the unmute button. Sorry, I have a truck, garbage truck outside. <laughs> Chris has stuff going on. And my favorite here, Naomi Buck Walters. I'm the favorite guest. Oh, As of today. <laughs> the only person that didn't throw me under the bus yet. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No, that's just not me. Oh, my goodness. I'll be nice. I'll be nice. Yes. So, fun times. Okay, first of all, let's shout out some people who are always here. Bryant. Hi, Bryant. Danielle's back. Hi, Danielle. She was sick last time. JJ wants to know, do calories still count during that? So a big acceptable rabbi said, whatever you eat on a high holiday that is written as a mitzvah, meaning a good deed in Judaism, you do not get fat off of. So I can eat a challah on Friday. I don't get fat off of it. And I can eat donuts on the eight nights of Hanukkah and not get fat. God said so. And a rabbi echoed it, and I believe it. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And I will double down on this, so I'm going to take <laughs> If you celebrate every religion, you can eat something every day. You can eat something every day in December. Brent is back. Hey, Brent. Brent was, I guess, last week. He was awesome. Hey, Brent. Um, Aisha says hello here. 
And Nora says, hi, Renee, Randall, James, Chris, and Naomi. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe. Happy to hear from everybody. Hi, Nora. So, Alex. Yeah, she forgot Alex. So, okay, joke number one before we get started. I last yesterday we were having a, a, a wonderful, you know, professional live with a CIO. He's talking about all these great things. Chris and I are wrapping up. I rap and I'm like, yeah, tomorrow we have CISO Thursdays with Naomi and Alex Azar. <laughs> and then at the end, I'm like, wait a minute, Alex Azar, James Azar. <laughs> Chris blows me up. <laughs> tells Alex. Tells Jason. Now she's calling me Alex. Now you're Alex. I'm changing your name in my phone to Alex. Now he's Alex. So he tells James. He tells Naomi. So it's going to be fun times, as you all can tell. Randall is like, what is wrong with you people? So Randall is here today. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what in the world? So I should Randall's have done better vetting. Like, let me watch them before I actually come on this wacky show. So, Randall had an awesome post that I want to get into first. And um, Randall made a post about breaking into cybersecurity and how it's long, how it's, uh, and Randall, you'll you'll get into it. It got 300,000 views, tons of comments and likes. And so, we want to talk about that today. Um, and kick it off with Randall, your thoughts, what made you even write that post, you know, what triggered that and let, let's get into that conversation. I, I'm, I'm really excited to hear about this one. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you. So, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a long road for me. Uh, it was very difficult to get into cybersecurity. <clears throat> I got into IT and I didn't especially have an interest in cybersecurity at the time. And I just did a lot of the IT stuff. <clears throat> And, you know, over time, I kind of my aptitude personality started taking me in a cybersecurity direction. We didn't used to call it cybersecurity. We used to call it InfoSec. Um, <clears throat> so once I, you know, got along in my career, I started teaching. And through teaching, I'm finding that, you know, a lot of students have false, you know, expectations about getting into cybersecurity. You know, I've been asked hundreds of times, how do I get into cybersecurity? And, you know, part of my mission is to help folks to either get into cybersecurity or to progress in cybersecurity uh, and really just make sure the next generation of cyber pros are prepared. And, you know, there are a lot of really nasty people out there that are, you know, could care less how they harm you or uh, damage your stuff, steal your data, even kill your patients uh, and, you know, it's just unacceptable. So we have to prepare the next generation very well. And I just feel like I'm part of that effort. And I just, you know, wanted to post about that. It was intended to spur some controversy um, because I think that gets <clears throat> gets a lot of attention. And so I insinuated, but I don't really believe this, that you have to be a, you have to be an expert at everything. Um, I certainly don't believe that. <clears throat> And you can be in cybersecurity and not be an expert, but it's really tough unless you have a good foundation of knowledge in IT. You know, you know about servers and hardware, you know about operating systems, you know about databases and applications, you know about the network, you know, you understand wireless, you understand mobile, you know, you really have to, <clears throat> you, you really have to at least have a good understanding of those things and how they work under the hood before you can try to go and secure those things. And it's, it's, it's just, um, you know, cart before the horse, right? You, 
I wouldn't know how to secure a uh, router unless I understood how that router worked. And so you have to have at least a good foundational knowledge in IT. So that's the reason why I posted that. I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree that you have to have a great foundational knowledge. Um, I don't think you have to be an expert in everything, especially as technology evolves. You can't be an expert in everything. There's just too much. Um, but you can choose to be a generalist or you can choose to be a specialist. Mm. Um, and each of those has their pros and cons when it comes to looking for your next role. Um, I personally have always taken the generalist route because I love learning. I love learning about new things all the time. Mm. So I know a little bit about everything, but um, I, I probably couldn't reprogram the router from scratch. Um, with some Google Foo, I could do it, but uh, it's not my area of specialty. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and, you know, we can always Google it. And I always tell my students and anyone that asks, uh, you know, it, you know, read a book on TCP IP and, and Google anything that you don't understand. And that's exactly what I did, except back in the day we didn't have Google. So we looked at a lot of manuals and uh, IBM Red Books. Uh, they were all in the trunk of my car as I went from different customer to different customer. Um, but but if there's something, if you're in a room with folks and they're talking about something and you don't understand it, ask and they'll explain it to you or Google it and read about it until you get, you have a pretty good understanding where you could explain it to somebody else. Uh, and if you can do that, you, you have you have a pretty good understanding of it. The hands on application, you know, it just depends. You know, if you know, if you've never worked on a firewall before, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't audit a firewall as long as you understand the controls. Uh, that should be there, uh, you know, what are the concepts around firewalls and what should you have on your firewall and what shouldn't you have? Um, I did a customer one time where they, you know, they said they were very secure and they had uh, a firewall and I looked at their firewall config and I, and they had a, a allow any any at the very top of the config. And then they had a bunch of rules. And they said, yeah, we're blocking all this and we're allowing all this. And I said, well, you know, you have a, a, a allow any any at the very top. Right. And they didn't understand what that meant. So it's scary. Right. I mean, because you can cause some real damage if you don't know what you're doing. So I just think that we need to ensure that those coming up um, uh, behind us are you know, educated to a level where they can do the job. And, and, and like I said, there's so many bad actors out there that will just decimate you if you don't know what you're doing. And they give you the keys to the kingdom. And if you don't know what you're doing with those keys, and you, you know you, you can really get screwed up fast. So, Randall, a comment came in just now. Gloria says, "I agree on all your inputs, but what about the human factor? We have to consider that as well." Absolutely. I mean, uh, I call the human. I call the human the uh, layer eight. Uh, that is. Uh, you know, part of the OSI stack, uh, you know, above above everything, right? The human interaction or the, um, you know, interfacing with the system as a user. You know, you have to train those folks. Uh, you know, at least once a month, I'm communicating with my organization about the risks. Uh, we train them really well annually. We also, um, you know, fish them. Uh, and I'm constantly bugging them with emails about it and how serious it is, especially we have in healthcare, and we have this Ryuk ransomware that is being targeted to healthcare. And now we have, uh, we're hearing of attempts to disrupt the vaccine supply chain. 
And even, you know, these freezers, they have to be minus 70 degrees and they have to be monitored. And then, you know, folks set up the monitoring to talk to the public Internet so the monitoring company can can get alerts. But but a hacker can also gain access to that. So then they shut off the, the alerting and they cause the, the temperature to rise in the freezer and you spoil all your vaccine. Uh, that would be really bad. So, you know, like I said, we just have to train everyone really well as to their role even if they're not in security or IT at all, they still have a role in handling email very well, making sure they're careful which websites they visit and that type of thing. You brought up, Randall, like four different things that you talk about, kind of the core competencies of people that want to break into cyber, right? In your post, if you look at all 600 and some odd comments that are on there, and I've, you know, as, as we've been kind of doing this, you, you skim through some of that, you realize that, there's an inherent disconnect, something that we talk about here every week between what skills are needed for entry-level roles, what cross-training can we take from other parts of the business to bring them into the, I think, where the greatest need is in cybersecurity, which is the mid-management level, the team leads, the kind of, you know, um, those where you have people who you know, could be in IT for seven years who we can train them on security, who have experience, who can come in and do the kind of work that we need right. in middle management, that you can trust them to do the work, right? right. right. And, and kind of kind of get that stuff done. And you just brought up the idea of the vaccines, right? And kind of like the public, <laughs> the public risk to that. It was, it's, it's interesting because I don't know if you guys, I don't know if Naomi, Chris and Renee, I don't know if you guys saw it this morning, Four stories that were trending on like some of the global media was how Russian hackers got into the EU's uh, vaccine database and stole all that documentation. Another one was around ransomware on on the IT infrastructure for the deployment of the vaccine in Germany. Mm-hmm. And so they're going and they're targeting these systems that are being set up quickly without really controls by countries. Germany's a nation state, right? The EU is 28 nation states. Like, you guys, where's your military? Where's your cyber force? Where's your cyber command in helping you set this stuff up? And and that goes into the human factor, right? Where they're trying to do rush stuff through, but they're not really addressing the the whole security pass because they go, well, who would want to do this? And I'm like, really? Some really bad people, a.k.a. Russia, a.k.a. China, a.k.a. Iran, a.k.a. North Korea. Right. Pick one. Right. Aisha says, Gloria, uh, she agrees with Gloria. The human is a part of the, is a part of the network. So, Larry, why is so much emphasis placed on the hardware and networks? Well, if if you don't know how the hardware works, if you don't know how it talks to talks on the wire, uh, and you don't know what the network is doing with it, routing and switching, um, you know, access control lists to isolate networks. Uh, if you don't understand how that works, how are you going to secure your systems that are in those networks? Uh, and I'm not saying you have to be a you know network, a Cisco CCIE, you know, architect level, um, but you definitely have maybe the network plus from CompTIA, you know, even that or a CCNA from Cisco, just that foundation of networking, TCP IP, subnetting, uh, access control list, VPN, how does it work? Um, you know, well, how does the encryption work? It's a tunnel. Uh, 
know, you got to understand how that works before you can try to secure it, before you can ask for money to be a professional to secure that. That's what you're being expected to do. And they're going to pay you. So you have to at least have an understanding. I can talk to the network guys and they know I know what I'm talking about. And I'm not an expert like they are, but they know I know what I'm talking about. And therefore, I, I have a seat at the table and I can influence, you know, design changes around the network and, and the, you know, demilitarized zone, DMZ, those types of things. And, and so therefore, I'm a value to the organization from that perspective. And so, you know, you still have to have the ability to do that or else you're just not going to be at the table. And, you know, you know, if you want to be a SOC analyst, you know, you can get alerts, you can research them, you can Google them, you can read the manuals and you can you can be a SOC analyst without understanding, you know, the internals of the networking. Um, but but still, you, you should still try. Right. If you want to be more than a SOC analyst level one, you know, you should really try to, to continue to build that well-rounded knowledge in IT. And that would include hardware and networking. Includes databases, you know, applications. Helps make you more effective in your role. Yeah. yeah. Well, Randall, I thought, I mean, that sounds pretty basic, right? Are they not teaching that in school? Like, I thought that that was kind of standard for what a program would provide, that you understand the, you know, the foundation, you understand how computers, computers work, you understand, you know, right. it just seems like it would be very, very basic information that every single program, it is. especially would have. Okay, okay. Right. All right. Well, I, I go back to when I first started teaching about eight years ago, I was teaching a security plus, you know, course, basically, the course was meant to teach you what what you need to know to, to pass this CompTIA security plus certification exam. And one of the foundations of that uh, was networking class, database class, you know, some basic programming classes. And then once you had gone through all those prerequisites, then you could start taking some more of the info, infosec classes. And the, the, the class that I taught was, you know, not a certification boot camp or anything. It was a college course. But when, when you pass that course, you should be able to go past the security plus. And I would get students who had been through all those prerequisites. And, you know, I would start talking about, you know, some of the ba really basic concepts and and they just weren't getting it. And so I really realized quickly that I had to reteach them things like networking and TCP IP before I could even start talking about how to secure on top of that. So so I don't think that a lot of cases, uh, certainly not a universal statement, but in a lot of cases, colleges are not properly preparing folks. Uh, and they really need a more robust IT general program before they start diving into the cybersecurity. I used to think that it, you get a bachelor's in IT and then a master's in, in cybersecurity, but I don't think that's necessary today. Even if you have an associate's degree, if you have a good program that you're attending and they're giving you that really good foundational knowledge and then getting, you know, stepping you up into cyber uh, and taking the knowledge that you've gained and then applying that to cybersecurity, then I think that's great. I just don't, my experience, I haven't seen that happen. So you think that, and I'm very curious when it comes to the degree programs, 
um, because I think that degree from from what I've heard and what I've seen and the people that end up showing up in in, in my inbox struggling, right? They typically have had some kind of, they've gone to a master's degree program or a bachelor's degree program. Um, and then they come out and they can't get into opportunities, whereas others come out and they immediately get into opportunities. So it's crystal clear to me that something is a gap when it comes to certain degree programs. Yeah. Um, and what frustrates me is that, you know, these people that they, they, they've been sold something, right? That they can get this, they can get this piece of paper and this is going to get them an entry into a job. And so I'm curious as to what you think. So if you, and I know I, I listen, I watch, I mean, I read some of the things that you wrote, wrote in your post around like associate's degrees um, and it doesn't, you know, it's not an associate's degree. It's not one cert. It's a combination of different things. Mm -hmm. If you were to put together like in your utopia, a pathway for people, what would that look like? You've been teaching this, you're in the field, this is what you do, what would that look like? Well, it really depends on your background, right? If you're just, you know, just out of high school, um, you know, I had associate's degree students who thought that when they graduated with an associate's degree, they were gonna be a pen, pen tester and make a hundred grand a year to start. And, you know, it, it pains me, it pains me because when I tell them that's not really true, it sort of you know bursts their bubble and I don't want to burst their bubble. I want them to pursue it. I just want them to do the right things and have the right, uh, the right uh, foundation to be successful in cybersecurity. And uh, so, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it just depends. I, you know, I came, I, I came into it, you know, probably 30 years of age. I had a career prior to it and I transit transitioned to it because I had a really good aptitude uh, I know I love I love technology. I love to take things apart and see how they work and put them back together again. And you know, I, I knew IT paid really well, so I got into IT. I just uh, started taking a class. I took I took a pay cut to take a help desk job so I could start getting experience. And then I went to evening school, um, five o'clock to nine o'clock p.m. and uh, took a course that was sort of like the course that I taught, which was um, designed to teach you what you need to know to be able to pass the Microsoft System Security Engineer MCSE in Windows NT4 back in the day. And so by the time I had finished that, I had passed the seven exams necessary to be, to be an MCSE on NT4. And uh, then I pretty quickly found a job uh, as a... Um, a Microsoft engineer, and I made more money than than the job that I had left to go to work for help desk. So my first my first real my first real uh, IT job was making more money than the job that I had before, uh, and that's not even considering cyber. So you really have to you know kind of have a plan in your mind of how am I going to gain this knowledge? Uh, you know, am I in IT or am I not in IT? If I'm not in IT, I got to get into IT, right? It's it's really hard to just jump right into cyber from nothing. Um, and you know, get into IT, work in IT, start getting some experience along the way. If you have cyber as your target, uh, you know, set set goals. You know, find out. Here's what I always do: find out what you want, and then work your way back to where you are today. Uh, I had CISO as a goal, so I would look at job descriptions and I would read things about CISOs and what what do they need to have to be a CISO. And, and I've, I've found lately that that varies greatly because there's so many different kinds of CISOs. But 
what in general is our organization is looking for, you know, what degree level, what experience level, what skills. And so I started mapping that back to where I was at that time. And I started working on those things as I was working in IT. And I gradually continued to get those things and take a step up. And then at some point, you know, I saw that everyone required a bachelor's. So I went to get my bachelor's. I got my bachelor's. And then I started seeing CISO jobs where they require, you know, required a bachelor's, but master's are preferred. So if you have a master's, you're going to be at the top of the list in terms of your competition. And so I went and got my master's degree in cybersecurity. And so, it, you know, I also have found out through talking to a lot of people and networking is critical. Networking with individuals and peers is critical. And I, I found from talking to all those that they had a very good business sense. They understood the business. They understood finance. They understood management. They had good communication skills and re relationship building and trust skills. And I found that to be very critical to the success of a CISO. So I continue to work on that. I, you know, lots of ways that I did that. So if I just kept, you know, taking steps up, up the ladder and until I finally got the CISO job. The problem was once I got the CISO job, I didn't have anything else to shoot for. So I was kind of lost at that point. But, uh, you know, like I said, just map out from where you're yeah, at to yeah. where you want to go and then just start taking those steps. And those steps might be, you know, associate's degree. It might be, you know, five years experience in IT. It might be uh, a master's degree or, or a bachelor's degree. It might be a certification exam. Start out with the a plus network plus those are really good general uh, foundational certifications that will teach you a lot as you study for them and as you go through as you get into cybersecurity, then start maybe shooting for the cissp or the isac sysa or sysm uh, those are really sort of that management level that that james is talking about uh you know once you get those you're really considered you know pretty solid cyber professional and really sort of management material to the point where you can, uh, you know, you kind of have that bigger broad, you know, if you're going to manage people doing identity access management, you're going to have people doing the incident response and you're going to have people doing, um, you know, security operations, you know, you're going to be managing a team of a lot of different disciplines. So, you know, you really have to understand, you know, at least enough to be able to help them, train them, um, manage them, right. To, to the expectations that you want to have. So it's, it, it, you know, it, there's not, not one path for everybody. It really depends on a lot of those things. So I'd like to add to this and, you know, Randall, I certainly appreciate your viewpoints for sure, but here's where I fundamentally disagree with what you said. Now I agree actually that you do need a broad range of knowledge in IT, but my argument is, and this is for all the people who are looking to get into cybersecurity, I don't think the onus should be on just the student to be perfect before they even apply to cybersecurity jobs. Certainly they're gonna to have to know something. They can't just sit in front of a computer and apply for a job with nothing under their belt. They need to put in the effort, I get that. But what I'm hearing from a lot of hiring managers is they're just too busy or too lazy or they just don't want to. They don't wanna train these folks. Mm. We want them to come in with exactly the right amount of skills they don't want to level them up more than they need to. They just want them to be able to do the job. Yeah. And that is such an indictment on us as a society in general, where you're not worth anything until you can get this job. And it's, that's what frustrated a lot of people with your post, Randall. Even though I agree with you on a broad level, you do need broad IT knowledge 
to be well to do well in cybersecurity. I agree with that. But mm -hmm. I disagree with the fact that the person themselves need to train themselves up to be able to get to the job in the first place. I think the hiring managers and the companies would be way better off if they trained and they mentored and they provided learning opportunities for people who are trying to get in. They already did some of the work. Well, bridge that gap for them. I mean, that's certainly how I started. And this is me more than 10 years ago now where I came in with just IT experience as a developer. I didn't even work on any servers or any of the physical stuff, none of the physical stuff. I just literally wrote code all day long. And for them to take a chance on me and say, hey, why don't you get into AppSec now? I'm like, that is awesome, yes. From AppSec, I was given so many opportunities to learn all the other domains. And that's what I'm saying. My yeah. post, and I'm glad you you brought up posts and you're like, hey, you know, you got views on it. My post was in direct, you know, in actually like a response to yours. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of um, a lot of engagement on that one. That was really good. I ended up getting almost a thousand comments that said, this is exactly what people are looking for. They want a chance. Right. And now you might just say like, you know, it'd be so much better for the business to have you hit the ground running. And I get that. But what are we trying to do as a society to our people? Like we're telling them they're worthless unless they are perfect candidates. Like, or are we saying, I see you as a human. I see you being proactive in your career set. And I know you're trying to level up. Let me give you that leg up. Let me help you from where you are right now. You don't have to be perfect. I'll take you as you are and I will train you up. And that is what's missing between our generation, this generation now, versus the generation that I grew up in. And again, I'm 39 years old. So I would say maybe even 10, 15 years ago, it was vastly different. What do you think? No, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and I, I, I've never said that you have to be perfect to get into cyber. Um, and I'll give you a great example of that. Um, we had a position for a level one analyst, cyber analyst. And the requirement was five years of experience. And so we, we interviewed this young lady. Uh, she was She's Vietnamese. I'm not going to say her name, but she might be listening. Um, but she came to us from SecureSet. SecureSet is a, a pretty, pretty well-known uh, organization that trains folks in cyber. And she had a couple of years experience, but she was phenomenal. She was, she was the best interview I ever had. I mean, she was just bubbling with, with uh, aptitude and, and passion and really wanted to get into it. And, and I threw her some pretty hard questions and she got it. She got it more than some of the more advanced folks that I've interviewed. And, you know, I was just blown away by her and we couldn't hire her. We couldn't hire her because she didn't have five years experience. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I asked for aptitude and attitude. And when I moved to Colorado, now I asked for, for altitude. But, uh, you know, I can train you. You know, if you have a great interest and in a, in a great aptitude, demonstrable aptitude, yeah, we want you. The, the problem is, at least in our situation, HR just, you know, had things set up in a way that made it impossible for us to hire her. And of course, we couldn't go against that because it would be inconsistent hiring practices. And, and you know, that's not a good thing. So we worked with them ultimately to, to, to get uh, to get that changed for our, you know, sort of positioning within our uh, team and our hiring requirements. And then we ended up getting somebody else who's fantastic as well. But the, but but that young lady, she was just, you know, anybody, you know, I put out 
I put out the word about her because I wanted her to get a job because she would, and she's a rock star. She now she's a rock star. So yeah, you're absolutely right that you know those folks can get in there and, and can get started and they're going to be very successful. And so I think it's just that element of having that great aptitude and passion about it, and uh, and then just making sure that you have some stuff under your belt to you know, so that you, we can bring you in and we'll, we'll absolutely train you. So, so yeah, I'm That's not. Awesome. Awesome. And I know it takes an element of courage from the hiring manager's perspective. I get it as a risk-based person in general. I don't want to take on additional risks to my team if I don't have to, but if you see a spark in there, if you, if their eyes light up when they talk yeah. about cyber and they've already done the home labs, they've done the projects, they've done volunteering work, like, these are all the things that I look for, like you said, attitude. And it's so hard to measure quantitatively, but I would say when you see it, you know it's there. Yeah. And that's what I look for, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You can spot it. Um, you know, their eyes light up when they talk about it. You know, I had another hire that he had about four years of IT experience. It was just IT. It was scripting around Microsoft and, and doing things like that. And he wanted to work in security and he came and I had CISSPs, you know, five or six of them. And they, and frankly, a lot of them were arrogant, you know, Hey, I'm a CISP, so I should get this job. And this guy came to me and he didn't have any security experience, but he had such a passion. You could just see it. You could feel it. You know, you know, it was like an electric buzz in the room just because he was so passionate and wanted to get a job. And, you know, he showed me some of the scripts he brought, evidence of the, some of the stuff he'd been doing. It's not cyber related, but definitely can apply to cyber. Uh, but he showed me a lot of the scripts that he wrote to automate stuff that was always being done manually. He showed me all the documentation that he had done around everything that he does. He documents for the next person that comes behind him. And those are two skills that are just, you know, it's just hard to find people that want to do that. And I hired him and he was one of the best hires I ever had. And, you know, like I said, you have to be able to take a chance. You have to be able to spot talent. It doesn't have to be five years of cyber experience or or even five years of IT experience. It just needs, you know, you have to understand that you can't come in the front door of cybersecurity usually, you know, without having at least some some, some IT under your belt or some skills, you know, that are they're relative. I You know, I have other folks that, that were... Um, well, we had one that was a, an FBI agent and, you know, although he had done cyber, uh, you know, they don't, some of those agents don't really get into the very technical cyber. They get more into the investigations and kind of the psychology around the hackers and attribution, uh, but they really don't have hands on IT. But this guy, uh, and it's not, it's not one of my hires, but, but this guy that I know of, you know, he was just fantastic around people skills, uh, communication skills. Uh, you know, interest in cyber and really the ability to pick things up very quickly. And, you know, he, he found a job in cybersecurity uh, and just phenomenal, phenomenal uh, value in addition to our profession. So there are some awesome comments coming in. Go ahead, um, James. So, so you both kind of brought up some really good points and I kind of want to summarize it and kind of bring it all into to some of our viewers, if that's okay with, you know, me and Randall um, is there's, there's a need for some level of proficiency in IT, and it can be something as very basic or something as 
advances going and doing the CC. Like, I don't want to say advanced, like network plus or security plus, but you got to have some level of doing IT. I'll give you an example, Randall. I, I was uh, doing a, I was speaking to um, uh, soldiers um, on their way out of the military, all combat kids, mm-hmm. right? So these guys are, you know, blow it up and and shoot it up. The, the, <laughs> their idea of using a computer is Facebook, um, you know, which, which you know, we can, we can get into that discussion. But what I did is I asked someone I know, and we, we printed out these network maps, but we changed it from a network and we made it look like a, Hey, we're trying to get from point A to point B. These are all the things that are in the way. Help us secure this route. And then we want you to write along this route the different stuff that you would do to ensure that, you know, our unit wouldn't be tackled, that we wouldn't take on any enemy fire, that no one would be able to, you know, to steal our stuff or isolate one of our vehicles in 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 this process. And so Gave them 20 minutes, you know, critically thinking they're all on these like, you know, little whiteboard kind of printed out old school style. It's the military, you know, we don't have touch screens. Um, and so they're doing that, Randall, for about um, 15, 20 minutes. And they come back and I, they, they all come and present the stuff. And I go, you know what you guys just did? And they go, what? I was like, you built a security architecture. Mm-hmm. I go, because the map that you're drawing on is actually a network IT map, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we as IT professionals, people who are in cyber, who come from that IT background, you know, which is necessary because you can't not have it. We're, we're sometimes, like you said, with your CESPs. I've met so many CESPs that go, I'm entitled for this. You're entitled to nothing. Right. Right. You're, you're, you're given an opportunity, but you're entitled to nothing. Right. The fact that you did a CESP gives you zero entitlements. Um it, it just lets us know you did it. But right. these combat guys all left from there thinking, wow, I can be more than a G4S security guard. I can be more than the, I can actually translate my skills into critical thinking within security and IT mm-hmm. because those skills can translate one to one. And the, I think the point that Naomi brings up that's really, really effective is the fact that if we just start to look at people beyond that level of qualification and like you both said that passion that that spark in the eye the ability of someone to come in and say i've got a server in my house that i bought off of ebay right that i'm messing around with and um i've, I've separated my home network and i got six different home networks and you know i have my iot devices on one and and, and you know that stuff you don't learn in a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree no offense to randall and chris i know you both teach but you know, you have students that walk into your, your classroom who, do, who don't do that, who are just like, all right, let me get the credits for this so I can get a piece of paper so that I can get a job. Um, and, and some people just don't just they don't have that passion. I mean, yeah. passion is everything. If someone has the passion and the aptitude and they have the will, it is incumbent on us as leaders, if we call ourselves leaders, to take that risk and be willing to back it up mm-hmm. and build a supporting team around that person to really help that person get up and rise. In the military, you know, if we went into a uh, we went into battle, you didn't look at, you know, the slow guy and go, well, leave him behind. <laughs> right. Like everyone was around the slow guy saying, we got to make sure he, st- he, he keeps up pace with us. You know, um, we got to make sure that, you know, we, we can't leave a man behind. And if we just, you know, that's about leadership and our leadership skills are incumbent on us to build our team so that it's not one against the other. It's not one team versus another team. Competition is good, but that camaraderie 
is even more important that we're all on this one team and we see that now with FireEye. I just saw a post right before we went live of someone saying, this is why, you know, FireEye should have known better. And I want to choke that person. I literally want to choke that person. Like I am debating of doxing him right now. And in my brain of brains, I want to dox him. And my good nature, and because it's Hanukkah, I'm going to give him the miracle of a pet. <laughs> Uh, calm down, Alex. Calm down, Alex. Alex, 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 calm down. All right, we're gonna get to some well, comments. Well, can I um, can I say one thing before you go? One of the things that I I love that that James brought up and that Naomi brought up and that um, Randall also touched on is the key of transferable skills. That's one of the things, both as a teacher and a manager, that I love to show people is how you could take. Um, processes and procedures from one area of life and transfer it to another area of life and um, that you can apply those concepts over and that's one of the easier ways for someone to transition into this industry is by having those sorts of transitional conversations with them. I'll let you go to the, the, the comments, Renee. Awesome. Tons of, um, I mean, I'm going to start at the bottom right here where Brent says team. Um, and I think these perspectives are so very important, especially Randall and Chris being college professors, you know, Randall, Alex, and Naomi, <laughs> James, AKA Alex and Naomi being CEOs, you know, just bringing the various perspectives because um, to, to, to Naomi's point, you know, all we get are, we hear from people all the time, they're struggling, they, they're doing what people told them to do and they still can't, you know, they still can't hack it. So that combination of the leaders reaching down, helping, you know, pull people up and then the students kind of getting the, the education and the hands-on experience that they need for us to meet in the middle. So we don't have another 500,000, I think was the number quoted to me yesterday, open cybersecurity positions. Okay, so comments. I mean, the people are on fire in the comments. So I'm gonna go all the way back here. Um, Brent says, it is great hearing how people got into IT security. Um, so many people have varied backgrounds and it's so true i used to think it's funny i used to think that people that i was unique and chris was unique and all of us were unique but this is how everyone gets in like nobody typically you think about eight years ago ten years ago like naomi pointed out um randall when you were coming in um james and you come you, you were coming in like all of us 10 years ago there was no like direct path it was all pulling people from different places mm. so um Right, because no one knew you needed security. And then you were like asking for volunteers. Who wants right. to come and help us with security? And we were the idiots that raised our right. hand and we're like, like okay, we'll do this. That's exactly how the worst it that can happen here. Totally how it went. Okay, so I you really said, want me to answer that? <laughs> there has to be there has to be a real, realistic career path explained for people just breaking into IT. Experienced professionals should guide new ones to avoid being misled by false expectations but help them to see how to grow step-by-step, step. at least show how to navigate through reliable sources. That's what a good mentor is for. Absolutely. Yeah, so good. Um, Lincoln is talking about when Randall was giving his advice initially, very solid. Um, Brent comments, I agree to Al, but this is often up to the manager or seasoned professional. Fear of competition prevents some of this from taking root. Comments? on that fair of competition well, i mean 
Ma- managers always, I've, I've, I hate managers that fears hiring someone that's better than them. I always look to hire someone better than me because I know I'm not going to be in that role forever. And if they are worth it being my manager, I would love to work for them. So I always try to hire up. Um, I look for the potential, the diamond in the rough and try to squeeze whatever I can out of them because I want them to be the, their best selves. But that's not always the case. There's people that take a job just for the paycheck and those types of people, they don't want someone to surpass them. So they squeeze the life out of those people or they don't give them the chance. Yeah. Anyone else? Leadership. Uh, leadership. Leadership. Difference between managers and leaders leaders build teams, managers bring peons. You know, uh, I think the concept of skip level is really important. Um, so on my team, we have the a director and then we have, you know, analysts under him. And, you know, I encourage them to come meet with me one-on-one on a monthly basis. And when they do, I give them homework. Sometimes they don't want to come see me because I always give them homework. <laughs> you know, I, I say, you know, Explain, come back and explain to me how the OSI model works and then explain to me how security is interwoven within the OSI model. You know, ports, protocols, threats at each layer, security controls at each layer. And, you know, and they come back and they have done a bunch of research and, you know, they're just that much better uh, with, a, with a really good conceptual understanding of how security intertwines within the OSI model. So I think that that's I think that's got to be part of it. You know, you've got to share your knowledge and experience with that team and keep on building them up. And then if they, you know, if, if they become a rock star and they surpass you, that's fantastic. That's exactly what you should hope for. That, I mean, it's, it's what you should hope for, but uh, we've learned that everyone isn't like you, Randall, or you, Chris, or, you know, we had some, like I said, the CIO that was on yesterday saying the same thing you know, and saying like, I don't want to be that single point of failure. Like I need somebody that knows that can back me up. I need somebody that understand this, understands this. Um, Brett said, we should always look for people smarter than we are. Learning runs both ways. That is so true. So, so That's true. reverse mentorship. That is <laughs> well, I love mentees. Like, tell me what y'all doing. What are you doing? <laughs> well, you I mean, but, but you have to look at it in the way of what happens in, large organizations where your teams exceed, you know, 50, 60, 70 people, and you're in that CISO role, you're kind of relying on your VPs. And you can have a bad VP, you can have or a bad director, and you want to replace that person. But you realize the difficulty today, and I'll say it again, is not breaking into cyber. Although, you know, that's one of the difficulties. It's finding that mid-level person Mm -hmm. that you can trust to do the work for you. That's the toughest role to find it's it's i think it's easier to find tier one and tier two analysts and red teamers and blue teamers and purple teamers i think there's a a bevy of them and it's what we talk about every other week on on the podcast here which is you know let's align hr with what we need let's get rid of those you know requirements that say five years or two years or assist and get them on board it's that mid-level roles where we see a lot of people here who talk about the difficulty of getting in, uh, where, where they hit the wall. It's not at the CISA level. Sometimes we don't even know it's happening. I mean, and that's that's the other part is we can sit here and talk about it all we want, but sometimes we don't know it's happening and we need to be in, you know, 
what I think there's like nine disciplines to cyber if you really want to want to break it down. So we have to manage nine disciplines of cyber, including the politics of the corporation, including the cross organizational stuff that we need to do, building relationships. And now we need to look at every single CV that comes through to see whether or not we're giving the person the right shot. And I think that's the difficulty right now is that mid-level job. It's those mid-level people who are sometimes creating a lot of these challenges and it's incumbent on us to kind of bring those people in now and, and, and straighten that line. Um, I think, I think the, I think the, I think you're absolutely right in terms of leaders wanting the mid-level people. That's usually when they call me (laughs) like, Hey, we're struggling. We need somebody that has seven, 10, 15, whatever, how many ever years, a senior architect that could be individual contributor or a team lead or whatever, right? Then you have this bevy of people at the bottom trying to break in to get to mid-level. So the real question mark is that gap in between, you have all these people at the bottom, there's a bottleneck. So you have all these people at the bottom and then you have this big gap that's in the middle Right. And then you have, you know, a pretty much it's almost like a like an eight or one of those reverse kind of um, vases or whatever, where you have this funnel at the bottom. A lot of people skinny bottleneck and then at the top, you know, decent amount of CISOs. So it's how do we get more people into that middle tier? How do we get them from I actually want to do this? I am passionate. I'm this. I'm that. I'm going to school. I'm doing what people are saying. And I can't even break in to get up the five years. I can't make it to the five-year level mm-hmm. to now, you, you know, like now I don't have to, you know, you don't need someone shadowing someone that has five to seven to 15 years experience. I think that's where the real, you know, quote unquote, rubber meets the road. That's the gap. You know, um, something I would say here is uh, about the COVID pandemic is, is sort of been a blessing in, in one way that, you know, usually we were, you know, geographically captured, right? We, you know, unless we wanted to relocate, you know, we were subject to the jobs that were within the driving distance of, of where we lived or chose to live. And now there are so many jobs and probably many of those jobs will permanently be remote um, because you, from the manager side, you, you really have a lot more selection. It's not just people who live in your city. Uh, now I can really hire anywhere in the world uh, for for and look for talent. And from the from the um, applicants side, you can now apply to a lot more jobs that aren't just within your geography. You know, you can apply. You know, if you live in New York, you can apply for a job in California, and and likely be just as effective as somebody sitting in a chair in a cube. Uh, so I think that that. The, the search, the ability to get those people into that funnel and get them the experience is really good, um, especially now that you can, you know, you know, be more ge- geographically dispersed in your in your search. Yeah, I Spot think knowing that's a hop. Go ahead. Go ahead. Spot on, Randall. I think our our now the organization and HR can no longer fight you about location and geography, right? Mm-hmm. We're actually winning the battle now. Thank you so much, China. And thank you, COVID. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it took over a million dead people globally to get organizations to understand that you no longer need to be centralized in one place, that you can be decentralized. And I think one of the things we're going to see out of COVID, by the way, is the new global workforce. 
meaning the new global workforce is going to be, I'm no longer limited to hiring in my state or in my country, but I can now go outside, which is going to create a lot more work opportunities for everyone. Um, simply because now if I'm, if I'm a good, you know, I saw one of the comments here was a person who was a digital marketer. So if I'm a really good digital marketer and I know multilingual and I know multiple languages, I can now go and work for uh, a Russian company or a, you know, sorry, that's a bad example. Um, a German company. All right. Or a, you know, or, or, a, or a company yeah. out in Norway or Sweden or, or anywhere else in the world and, and be able to earn what I earn here. And yeah. so th- there's, there's that aspect of it that's going to really change um, over a period of time because more and more organizations and more and more companies are going to do that. Yep. So I'm going to go through these comments. Naomi had to mm-hmm. run. She had a hard stop at noon Eastern. So I am going to go through these comments and then we will, um, oh no, Chris has to run too. Okay, so let me run through these real quick because there's so many, but this was such a good topic and I'm hoping that we can continue this conversation. Um, John says, you know, he's a digital marketer breaking into the cybersecurity world, taking a security plus course to help him with creating security related content, even though it's not his background, any advice on how to get better from a 10 foot, 10,000 foot view of the field? Yeah, look at what everyone else is doing and do the complete opposite. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, I'm going down to the rest of the comments here. Um, go ahead, James. No, no, I'm good. Something? Okay. I was going to point out go ahead. Um, one of Brent's comments here. And he says the CISP, CISSP was, not in, was intended as a management cert, not as yeah. a technical qualifier. Now it's seen as a minimum minimum qualification for so many lower level. And I think that that's very true. And I think that that's due to many uh, HR departments just going out and doing a search and saying, oh, I see CISP everywhere. So let's make these people have to have a CISP. And then the the hiring manager doesn't push back against that. Then then you're going to fail. It is it is intended to be a management um, a management qualifier in cyber. Right. Yeah, it gives you that very broad knowledge across it, but not really any deep technical or deep, you know, uh, yeah. And nobody I mean, it's bizarre because this comes up every week and I shake my head every time about the fact that HR, you know, steps in and, and I get it on certain things. I get it on. I understand when um, when folks have to when HR has to make a um when it's like a company wide, right? So, okay, everybody has to have a degree, that kind of thing. But it behooves, it's like mind boggling to me that they would be going in and changing your certifications and adding years of experience. That's crazy to me. Um, it is 12.03 though, and everyone has to drop in. There's some awesome comments in here. So I'm feeling like, can we do this again next week? Can we continue this conversation? What do you think? I think we can always carry this conversation forward. It's so many, there's so many good things in here um, and we all have to run. Uh, but folks, I, you know, Randall, I just want to thank you so much for being here with us. You bring such a great perspective. You know, we love hearing from a college professor, somebody that's gone through the ranks, somebody that has a college degree, all this stuff. And now is on the other side of it, looking, looking back and looking around and seeing this. And um, as usual, James, you're, you're, expertise and insight and all the things that you bring here. It's always really good. And everyone else with all the comments has been really, really awesome. 
So, you know, we're back again next Thursday. So I don't know if we could twist Randall's arm to come back <laughs> to finish. But if not, Randall, if you're unavailable, we get it. But we will be here um, next Thursday at 11 Eastern. So Brilliant. Yeah, I, will, I will definitely try. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Take care. See everyone next week on another CISO Thursdays. Bye. Brilliant. Bye. Bye. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.